0: Welcome to Intelligence Squared, I'm Connor Boyle. Today we're talking virtual worlds, and what they'll mean for businesses not only increasing working online, but for those perhaps looking to do away with physical interaction altogether. Mark Zuckerberg may have gone all in on the metaverse recently, but he's actually a bit late to the conversation. Our guest on the show today is Herman Narula, CEO and co-founder of Improbable. Herman and Improbable have been building on the concept of virtual worlds for close to a decade. He and co-founder Rob Whitehead met at Cambridge University and in 2012 set up their company in order to build virtual worlds for gaming. Since then, Improbable has worked with businesses, experiential designers and increasingly governments and those in the defense sector who wish to simulate realistic open world modeling. Our host today is Carl Miller, Research Director at the Center for the Analysis of Social Media at the Think Tank Demos. Here's Carl with more.
2: Herman Munnarula. Very warm welcome to Intelligence Squared. So as an easy first um, way of getting discussion going, what is the metaverse?
1: So I think this is a very abused term and it hasn't really received a good, easy to understand definition that's useful to business people, to entrepreneurs, to users. And so I want to take a crack at perhaps providing one. I think um, we've had virtual worlds for a long time the idea that you go into a video game or space and you interact with a 3d avatar that's nothing new and i don't think it's useful to define the metaverse as just a better version of that um because you know we have that we've had that for a long time i think the metaverse is the next step which is the idea that as a society we start doing really useful things inside these other virtual spaces. We start extending important aspects about our society, our culture, our economy into virtual spaces. We begin leveraging them to bring together very large groups of people to actually create meaningful and valuable interactions. So for me, the metaverse is not about escapism like video games. It's about extending society and providing a third space where these things can happen and value can be exchanged. So to give you some tangible examples, the metaverse could be where politicians interact not just with a handful of journalists, but with thousands of their voters and their actual constituents in a much more human way, interacting and engaging and perhaps even discussing and solving problems. The metaverse could be and is, in fact, where governments could recreate whole cities and whole nations. This is work Improbable is doing right now in helping to support decision making. It could also be a place where communities can come together and and not only just interact with each other, but actually usefully solve problems together. You know, imagine, um, you know, to, to use a slightly sort of softer edge, imagine, you know, your favorite football club all of the fans globally meeting in a space, interacting together, engaging together in a way they never could in the physical world, using that even to vote or decide or make choices um, together as a community. So to me, it's it's much more a successor, successor and fulfiller of some of the promises we had with social media, um, and much more of an extension of our society as it exists today.
2: Okay. So let's take Facebook's announcement, because I guess that's what has brought kind of both the concept and the prospect of the metaverse into kind of many normal people's kind of living rooms and 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 consciousnesses for the first time in their announcement kind of did did you see anything kind of qualitatively different there from the kind of virtual worlds which have been developed up to that point was was that kind of break or a kind of moment or was it was it actually a kind of marketing stunt
1: Uh, yeah well honestly i think um you know i i took a pretty dim view to it i do think it was a bit of a marketing stunt and i also think that in fact Um, There didn't seem to be any announcements of any new products, technology, or experiences. You know, the really hard problems in building a useful metaverse come in extending what's possible from today. Uh, Recently, I think in the last couple of days, we were more public about it. We announced that we're the first company able to support not 100, not 200, not a handful, but more than 10,000 people in the same space at the same time, talking and interacting naturally. You know, we've done this now with live players. It was interesting to see with Facebook's announcement that there didn't seem to be any real revelations around technology. But there's another darker edge to it as well. I think it would be a very poor outcome if a company like Facebook or any other singular business Ended up running, owning, or operating something as important as the metaverse, as an extension of our society. You know, that's I can think of no worse, you know, no company in terms of reputation to be the place where you know we now interact in this new digital economy, where we now learn, where we now make and keep the most important relationships in our lives. And I hope that's not controversial to say, you know, given the track record.
2: Indeed. And let's get on, Herman, to to ideas of ownership and, and proprietorial nature of, of of all that kind of stuff later on, because I think that's hugely important. But but just dwelling. For a moment longer on, on this question of definition and, and the newness versus the oldness of all of this. So uh, many people would say, look, virtual world, especially multi, massively multiplayer online role-playing games, have, have kind of created like various kinds of meaningful online spaces for quite a long time. I mean, for instance, Eve, you know, a, a giant kind of online spacefaring game has has often been pointed to as, as something very kind of real and, and sophisticated economic flows. Or people would say, Oh, well, you know, the identities and the friendships made in in World of Warcraft are just as meaningful as many that are made in real life. What is different in what you're saying the metaverse is to that? You're saying the real world somehow extends onto it in a different way. There are two big
1: changes really. The first is the decision we make as a society to start imbuing virtual experiences with more meaning. So a really good example to me is something like Sport versus EVE Online. The World Cup is just a game, just like EVE Online, but who wins the World Cup matters a hell of a lot more than what happens at EVE Online, because hundreds of millions of people, even billions of people around the world, you know, careers are made, lives are changed, because that virtual world, that additional extension of our society has a much deeper connection with our day-to-day lives. I think Eve is an amazing experience, and you know, very early, one of the very early games in that space. But like a lot of MMOs, it's a closed circle. What happens there only really matters there; it doesn't affect the rest of the world. It's not about the interoperability and exchange of value between the real world and the virtual one. What I see is more like a, you know, Paris Fashion Week happening inside a virtual space, where some of the hottest new ideas, designers, celebrities, and interactions that affect the real world, that affect our everyday lives, are actually being shown to us for the first time inside virtual spaces. Perhaps we could even buy these virtual items, trade them interact with them. You know, um, to use a final example, the stock market for a lot of people can feel like a game, can feel like a virtual space, but it's one whose actions and whose outcomes are extremely consequential within the real world. Um, and in fact, you know, one of my arguments is we've, we've often had, before we even had technology, we had other realities to which we ascribed a lot of value. So this isn't a new thing, the idea of, of other worlds of meaning that we can exchange value with within the real world. It's just something that now technology can allow us to facilitate a lot better than ever before.
2: So let's focus on technology, Herman, and the, the actual kind of act and art of building these things. Um, what are the kinds of um, kind of pressures or challenges that, that we face when trying to create a virtual world? I, I guess either at the societal level or the cell, cellular level or, the, or the, the level of universes. What do you as a technologist and your company kind of have to deal with when it comes to actually building them?
1: The best way to understand the value of a virtual space is through one metric the amount of useful information being exchanged between all of the participants in the world. I call this operations per second. So I'll give you some examples. When you're in a party with a lot of people, when someone moves and everyone else can see it and everyone else reacts or interacts, that's a form of information exchange. Um, And so we can measure this and compare this to existing worlds and games. So something like EVE Online has a lot of players in it, but they can only interact in very simplistic ways because there's a very limited amount of messages that can be exchanged between all participants. A game like Fortnite can do something like 10,000 messages a second, and that allows for, say, 100 people to hang out. Um, WhatsApp, globally, exchanges about a million messages a second, to give you an idea of the, the sorts of, kind of a rough comparator of, of scale. Um, some of the demos that I think, hopefully, um, you know, we, we've been putting out there in the last few days are hitting numbers like 300, 350 million messages per second. And even that isn't necessarily where I think you need to be to build really complex metaverses. So the hardest challenge is exchanging all that information. And doing it requires us to overcome all sorts of bottlenecks. How do you decide what information you should go where dynamically? How do you optimize the bandwidth down to individual machines? How do you render all of that on stage and on screen? we've had to resort to a lot of machine learning techniques to effectively compress the information that gets sent down to players and to invent new rendering techniques. So it's a very complex full stack problem. And it's one of the reasons why it's taken us, you know, nine years to get to this point as a business.
2: What's been the, the kind of trajectory of improvement generally within within kind of um, the world of technology in, in dealing with these challenges, Herman? Is this, is this a kind of an evolutionary kind of on-ramp of successive improvements? I mean, is this largely to do with like kind of raw compute power and is therefore a kind of Moore's law problem? Or have you seen seem like like kind of revolutionary leaps forward so so
1: companies like google facebook and amazon have generally dealt with what are known as embarrassingly parallel problems so these are problems like accessing websites or buying things online where you can scale them just by adding more hardware and by scaling them horizontally so for for somebody who's not technical the way i'd explain it is this when you go to a bar and order a drink As long as there are enough bartenders and the bar is long enough everybody can get a drink because me getting a drink and you getting a drink don't necessarily have to conflict with one another but building a metaverse is very different everything has to interact with everything else so a lot of the techniques and technologies that have driven the growth of the internet over the last 10 years aren't necessarily that appropriate and so what we're seeing is really that it requires a very discontinuous set of technology new skills new infrastructure probably new businesses and new companies that are going to come in and help make this stuff uh, really successful.
2: That's fascinating. I mean, what kinds of new technologies are going to become important here? I mean, I know I know, um, kind of modeling, for instance, like sounds like it's a very important part of, of creating worlds which are believable or realistic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of the real absolutely.
1: World. So um, recently we announced some work we're doing with the UK government, uh, which is to help model entire nations to support strategic decision making. To support that, we've had to invent new AI-based modeling techniques that can allow you to accurately represent all of the millions of people interacting inside traffic systems or all of the pieces that go into a telecommunications network. That's quite different from the sorts of techniques that normally go into making simple simulations for basic experiences. If we're going to be building metaverses that are really profoundly valuable and useful, we're going to need technology like that.
2: And and what, what kinds of Scenario, do you look at conventional kind of military operations or like a disaster relief or emergency response? So, we've worked on a
1: variety of different things. Uh, you can model everything from coronavirus spreading to disaster relief to helping conventional military operations to other things. Um, basically, we're pioneers in really putting together complicated models of models and allowing them to operate at really big scale and allowing users to be able to consider different actions inside those systems. So given how complex the real world has become, tools like this are really important, not just for government, but also for companies in understanding how to make choices. So for instance, let's say you're thinking about bringing electric vehicles into a power grid. Um, you need to model and understand that the power grid won't be overloaded by those same electric vehicles. Those are examples of things that we do.
2: I'd like us having to kind of dwell on a couple of um, specific examples about parts of life that that you think are really going to kind of change in important ways um, as metaverse are increasingly taken up and embraced. Can we begin with a very small and maybe kind of move up in, into kind of larger and larger kind of versions of the metaverses? What would be a virtual world, a very small virtual world that might appear and be important for people? Sure. So, something we're actually
1: doing right now and I think it's a good example and we're going to be doing more of it soon is imagine the best music festival you've ever been to. So everybody I think has had that story of that one festival they went to as a kid where they made friends they never expected they would where they serendipitously bumped into other people. I think for non-gamers, it might surprise you to learn that that sort of stuff isn't really possible and hasn't been possible in video games for a long time. Because generally, these are very small rooms with very small numbers of people. So for example, things like the concerts that happened in Fortnite, amazing company Epic Games, but the concerts were more like music videos. The star wasn't really there and the individual people who are enjoying themselves were in small groups of 100. Now I think one of the first things that we're gonna see, and we we put out something with a K-pop star recently that sort of was a good experiment of this, is massive gatherings of people, thousands of strangers around the world who can talk naturally with their own voices, in spaces, with celebrities who perhaps they might normally not be able to meet. Casually interacting, making connections, making friendships that wouldn't normally exist, and I think it's really important to highlight this. There's this is there's this weird. Even in this example, there's this weird fear people have. It's, a, it's, a, it's an understandable fear that. That, that virtual worlds will somehow take us away from the real world. To me, I think it's about forming connections that can then follow you into the real world. You know, those people you met at that festival, you might have become lifelong friends with. Well, why not make that possible um, in a digital space and then and then to see those things move forward? So that's a small example, just large gatherings of people, serendipitously, casually interacting together, going a little bit bigger. Um, Right now, when governments do joint exercises with thousands of soldiers, how do they do them? They go out into the real world and perform military exercises that can become geopolitically significant. They're big news and they cost billions of dollars. Imagine if whole nations could exercise vast, portions of their military in realistic environments, in virtual spaces, without ever doing anything in the real world. That would completely transform the way we deal with the the difficult geopolitical challenges that we see right now. Just look at what's happening in Eastern Europe. Look at the worries and fears we have and the intense need to coordinate internationally to prepare and to be able to think about those things. To give a a slightly different example, um, the fashion industry. You know, I, I'm amazed by how innovative the industry is becoming in thinking about how to think about their brands following people into, uh, into virtual spaces. You know, we could see a world where the majority of the amazing virtual goods we buy, in order, or the amazing goods we buy to sort of experience these brands and interact with them. Become digital experiences and become far more interactive and useful than just physical objects.
2: Let's um, let's talk about um, the kind of nature of these worlds that are being built because I think it's important for us to go back just to just to the Facebook um, announcement for a second. Um, we'll talk about ownership in a moment, but but I do want to talk about the kind of nature of networks because I guess one of the kind of wake up calls over the last ten years is, has 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 been to kind of increasingly call into question kind of Facebook's claim that networks by their very nature liberate. I think we've all realized, sometimes quite painfully, that networks can both liberate and oppress in different ways. Um, what, is there anything that that you've learned about the kinds of worlds, I guess, or networks which should be built, which promote pro-social activities versus those that can be used for all kinds of harm and, and abuse? Yeah,
1: I, I agree. I mean, I you might expect me as a technologist to suddenly tell you that, you know, it's all well and good. Just replace Facebook with my company or some other company and it'll all be fine. Um, I think you're absolutely right. The lessons we've learned is that doesn't cut it. I think there are sort of three poisons, if you will, that make it extremely challenging for us to create value in new spaces and that we need to remedy as a society. The first is the idea that just because something's free and widespread, that it's not a destructive monopoly. Um, When platforms like Facebook reach a certain scale, they take away the ability for new businesses to form because those new businesses are wholly dependent upon Facebook for their user base. And one change in an algorithm or one change in a monetization strategy can sink the value of the companies that are dependent on them. Now you might say, well, tough luck, that's that's Facebook one. Well, perhaps you might make the argument that initially platforms like Facebook are good, but after a while, they prevent new investment into new businesses, new experiences. Now, imagine you're a major brand, um, you know, a major clothing brand, for example. Do you really want to build your entire digital business entirely dependent on one closed platform? How does that feel to your shareholders or to you or to your ability to work with customers? So we need to move to a world where the data and the users that make up the power of these networks are shared equitably between different businesses and regulated in a meaningful way. And that's very possible. These companies will continually try to convince us that somehow this is really hard to do. But yet, there are so many platforms and infrastructural uh, problems that they have solved themselves and that that engineers today know how to solve in, in building open systems like this. The second poison is the idea of neutrality, that somehow... You know, an open forum is, is neutral, and the content that gets posted there, you know, is, is a reflection of society as a whole. We know that's not true. You know, I was quite disgusted to hear um, some of what was being put out the idea that, you know, misinformation and negative behavior on Facebook is a signal that human beings just can't be trusted. You know, we're just bad people if we're left alone. We can see that's not true. Look at Wikipedia you know, Wikipedia has become a, a wonderful trusted source. It's not perfect, but we all use it every day. Um, and that's open and that's free. And that's not full of terrible misinformation and nastiness. So, you know, I think we should accept that the monetization strategies of these open networks make them sort of the enemies of truth and the enemies of of, of open discourse. The final point is equity and governance. You know, it doesn't matter if something's free, or even if um, you have good access to it. If you don't have a say, if you don't have the right to judge how that platform evolves and what its rules are, because you're ultimately the person bringing it power, then I think we're going backwards as society. So I very much believe that the metaverse needs to be entirely built around open standards that different companies can interoperate with, and that's achievable. It needs to be regulated in such a form that society can impose its democratic values on that network, and it needs to be out of the hands of any one mega company in controlling it. And if we fail to do that as a society, you know. It's completely inexcusable. We've seen what happens when we don't do that. We're living it today.
2: Let's dwell on disinformation and and government regulation for a second because I think that's really important. So um, I guess many people would be worried, for instance, that um, would say that disinformation is actually currently an unsolved problem. (laughs) We haven't managed to solve it on Facebook or Twitter or any of the other tech giants. Um, As people move into metaverses, they'll be surrounded by ever more immersive content that will be able to affect them psychologically and socially in in ever more manifold and and possibly subtle ways. is that an anxiety? Because I guess we're only now beginning, and for for listeners that haven't been following this, there's a there's a new law, the Online Harms Bill, which will probably see the light of day not too not too long in the future. Are we only now beginning, mean, to kind of begin to bring these things under legal control? And and is there enough regulation for technologists like you to build worlds which you think are going to be safe enough?
1: So let's start with misinformation. Um, I don't think misinformation is a magical unsolved problem. I think it's an intentionally unsolved problem. And here's my evidence for that. If you put up copyrighted material on YouTube or Facebook or Google, watch how fast it gets taken down. Watch how amazingly quickly that copyrighted material will be detected and removed. But if you put up vaccine misinformation or controversial topics which drive clicks, but which aren't in and of themselves, um, you know, banned on some of these platforms, though they should be. They, they seem to linger, and that's because the financial incentives to drive engagement through good or bad information regularly outweigh the benefit to the public of of receiving the correct information. This is the, the this is the the proven decision-making process these businesses seem to be going through, and every day we see more revelations of that happening. So I don't think all companies are like that, and I don't think we should tar all businesses and all entrepreneurs and all leadership uh, businesses with that same viewpoint. That said, there is some really good hope when it comes to the metaverse, which is quite different from the advertising-driven model of the internet, and that's that the way we make money in games and virtual experiences is quite different. We make money through long-term engagement. What does that mean? Well, it means that in order to get someone to carry on playing a game, you have to give them real fulfillment. You have to actually give them a chance to have new and meaningful relationships with other people or to feel what psychologists call competence, autonomy, or relatedness. These are three fundamental areas of fulfillment that we know from a science called self-determination theory. You can't fake fulfillment. If you aren't providing somebody with genuine opportunities for growth, they're just not going to stick around over the long term. You end up losing and churning users. So that means that in order to make money in virtual experiences, you you sort of have to do something that's fundamentally better for the user than just making them angry for a second or two. Now, of course, that can be subverted. Of course, that's not perfect. But it does create a slightly better context. In terms of are the regulations and rules in place good enough? Of course, they're not. You know, government continually insists on regulating the internet from 10 years ago every time something new pops up. And we've all seen the parliamentary hearings and other discussions. There needs to be far more industry engagement and there needs to be a lot more collaboration and a lot more user ownership. I'd like to see platforms which are themselves democracies or themselves driving towards user decision making. Why can't we vote on what Facebook's rules are? I mean, there are billions of users. It would be a pretty large country if it
2: were one. So, is is that the kind of um, kind of governance structures that that the improbable will be implementing? Do you think, Herman, in 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 the worlds that it builds? Um, ah, so
1: we 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 build the technology and plumbing to support. Other companies create experiences like that. Um, but were we were we to build a metaverse or a world, yeah, I would push to want to do um, exactly that. I don't see why it would be so hard. You know, I look at the world of Web3 and crypto, and I know it has a lot of flaws and problems. And again, as a technologist, I can see that it's very early. But one thing that really does inspire me about that space is how we're seeing groups of users make real choices through decentralized organizations about their communities. That gives me hope of course, I would want um, a world that we built to be equitable, not only because I think it's the right thing to do, because I think it'll make more money. I think uh, a democratic, stable, well-functioning platform that encourages business to invest is is always going to win out over the long term over, you know, something that focuses on short-term profits.
2: So is is it perfectly plausible then technologically to, to both build worlds which are massive and also worlds which are decentralized? What, what does the like underlying company and technologies like stack look like when you're trying to move away from a kind of single monopolistic provider and instead try and build something which is kind of a patchwork
1: this is an interesting notion i think often a false choice is placed between centralization and decentralization centralization isn't always a bad thing and the historian nel ferguson talks a lot about how networks um, in history generally end up with central nodes because it's convenient and more efficient from the perspective of how we would interact with certain services. And he talks about how, in a sense, the internet inevitably became centralized. What's missing is auditability and trustability. Now, there's nothing wrong with trusting a central service if you can check when that service is misbehaving or build a competing service if you want to. And I think there are ways of architecting platforms whereby for efficiency reasons, there can be companies that run core central services, but they run in such a way that the community can migrate to other services. That is possible. And that's really the real promise of crypto and web three. Can can it help us build infrastructure that is auditable? Admittedly, again, the technology today isn't there, but these are solvable problems and there are people working on them.
2: All right, let, let, let's bring this... Back to 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 our to our listeners for a second, and away from kind of high technology, I guess, and and to kind of the every, the everyday lives of 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 people like me that don't build technology. So, to so say, I'm a you know I work as a lawyer or an accountant or something like that, or I run a small business of another kind. Um, what what should I be like thinking are there opportunities opening up for me now to embrace the metaverse like could this be a competitive edge for me now like are there ways that I should expect my business, how I get clients how I interact with people that how I provide services to be changing um in the future and and when like when when will my life start changing so
1: I think the first major change that's already happening is the virtual goods revolution. Um, A lot of scorn has been thrown on NFTs that are just JPEGs, but the basic idea is sound, the idea of ownable, tradable objects that are real. So I think a lot of brands, a lot of entertainers, a lot of musicians, a lot of people who create web content like podcasts or other pieces are going to find that they now have a new revenue stream. They can create virtual goods that users want to own and potentially use inside metaverses and experiences. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I think that this is going to become the best way for a community to interact both with each other and potentially with celebrities. Um, imagine a football club like Paris Saint-Germain or Arsenal. Um, you know, imagine some of the golden oldies of those clubs hanging out with thousands of fans while they watch a game together. How cool would that be? That level of engagement is going to create fierce brand loyalty and a real sense of participation. I think the final place where I would, I would get people um, to get excited is Actually, just in in competing with existing large centralized businesses, the metaverse provides quite a lot of opportunity to do some things better. You know, what might virtual shopping be like in that context? What might making and creating and watching and consuming, uh, you know, Hollywood style content be like in that context? Um, so, to me, it's those three key areas right now. In terms of how soon, this stuff is always very deceptive. Um, the conditions can be ripe for disruption. But the fuse is not ignited until a single product or a single experience pops up, which quickly catalyzes all of that change. I think we're already sitting on the gunpowder for some pretty big changes in the way that we operate. We're just waiting for the right products and the right services.
2: So, is it is it less about waiting for a, a series of kind of technical breakthroughs now, and more the kind of social adoption and understanding and use of these things to to to, to kind of well, find mass audiences?
1: <laughs> there definitely are technical challenges now. If I can if I can be a little self indulgent for a moment, you know. I feel we've solved them. You know, we're the only company on the planet that can do thousands of people together, talking naturally, interacting together. There's lots of content out there now. I encourage people to check it out. But, you know, if we can do it and we're at that point, I think... The experiences can now start to be built, which could take advantage of those things. And I think it's about inspiring creatives, content creators, etc. So, I mean, if someone's listening to this who you know is an amazing creative and wants to experiment with this type of stuff, like I, I wish they'd reach out both to us and to other people in the industry.
2: To, get, to go back to the military for a second, because I, I was fascinated by the idea of kind of um, maneuvers, like geopolitical maneuvers in virtual worlds. What, what 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 is the the kind of like interaction there? Is it, is it could, might we resolve the Ukraine crisis by having kind of Russia and the US? kind of it, it could simulate a series of encounters to kind of work out Well, who it's is.
1: it's it's much worse than that I, i'm sad to say um one of my one of, uh, one of my colleagues and close friend joe robinson put out a um an editorial i think in the telegraph in the last couple of days which talks a bit about this but we're really in a new phase of global warfare. Um, conflict between major powers now doesn't happen in the open anymore. It happens continuously, and it ha- and we're all part of that battlefield. It happens in cyber attacks. It happens in uh, combinations of military action that are combined with degrading infrastructure and you know things like traffic even and beyond. Russia and China are masters of this type of warfare, for example, and you can see this sort of you know hybrid action happening all the time. Right now, you know, without the kind of work that we do and that other companies do, there aren't even ways of seeing this happen. You can't even really understand that a city or a nation is being disrupted in an effective way. So the first thing that these metaverse like experiences do is they let us build models of the real world so that we can even understand what's happening. The second thing they let us do is think about how to respond. Um, you know, we aren't like, you know, I think, I think um, taking an action that disrupts the real world or alters a real world system requires a lot of thought and a lot of ability to simulate and understand the unexpected consequences of that, both to protect yourself and to, re- and to react. I see a future where a great deal of conflict is continually being modeled, simulated, and conducted in these types of systems. And a great deal of intelligence gathering is about building the best models. Um, it, it seems already that, for example, the Chinese government is, is is doing a lot of this stuff from from reports that have come out.
2: On defense specifically, uh, what does Improbable actually do using virtual worlds? So beyond our broader
1: metaverse ambitions and technology, we have a subsidiary called Improbable Defense, and that works closely with the UK government in helping them to recreate simulations of the real world, really big, complex models of whole nations and cities in order to help answer questions that can help keep us safe. So how we plan different courses of action, how we understand how our, our infrastructure might be disrupted, and how we might respond.
2: Could you also see a future where the metaverse metaverse and the virtual worlds within it are themselves front lines of kind of information warfare and influence operations and the kind of geopolitical shenanigans of states?
1: Well, yes, and I can tell you how in one of the first ways. One of the best things about all of this stuff is that for the first time, ordinary people, we're going to get to be able to make money inside the virtual experiences that, frankly, we create the value for anyway. Trading objects, interacting, doing new kinds of jobs. Wherever there's a mobile phone, there's going to be an opportunity to do a job in a virtual space that could be creative, that could even give somebody an opportunity to change their circumstances no matter where they live. The unfortunate side effect of that is now a lot of commerce is going to be happening inside these virtual spaces. They're suddenly very important and disrupting them starts to involve disrupting uh, the real world. This is why, for example, we take security so seriously. We we ran a few very large events last year, which put thousands of people into the same space. We were DDoS attacked. And that's quite odd in this type of situation, because normally you don't have everybody in one spot. So a DDoS attack, you just reset servers. Figuring out how to stop disruptions, attacks, and deliberately undermining both communities and infrastructure in this space is really important. I think it should be an expansion of what um, the services that protect us focus on how do they protect us in our online lives as well, especially as those lives become ever more important to the way that we live and function.
2: So, would would you say, and you know, granted, you might not explicitly know, but w- would it be your suspicion that states are already scoping out the metaverse from that angle and like testing <laughs> and building capabilities?
1: One one hundred percent. Um, you know, people are spending more and more time here. Young people are spending more and more time here, and you know, we can't afford to just ignore the impact that has on the way we think and the way we live. We can't close our eyes to it and shut it off, and we have to accept that everybody is going to increasingly see this as as a battleground to both, you know, communicate their point of view and to subvert uh, what other people are doing. This is this is, as I say, an extension of our society, an extension of the good. And an extension of the bad.
2: The world, uh, the world we're being painted here is one where we we, we enter into a, a a universe that surrounds us, which is also a swirling battlefield of competing geopolitical influence operations of states. Um, and you know, doesn't that put I guess like companies like yours, Herman, and, and, and all the other suppliers and creators of this space kind of as as the, yourselves are frontline, you know, constantly having to detect and mitigate Look, those kinds of doing, operations.
1: This, people ask us why we do government work, why there's a whole division of our company that does defense, why so many people uh, at Improbable work on these problems. It's because we think it's really important. We really do. I mean, if we if we don't do this, if, if people don't support this, uh, you know we might end up in a very in a very different situation when it comes to how these technologies are used. Um, I, I think companies in technology like to pretend they're neutral, that they can work equally in all countries and under all value systems and somehow be this completely blank slate. I don't think that's reasonable. I think technology companies, society, increasingly have to be values first. They have to decide what they stand for and what they don't, what kind of work they want to do and what kind of work they don't want to do. Um, so you're right. I think businesses that build this infrastructure are absolutely on the front line um of of what will be this next wave of of
2: progress and and problems how how optimistic are you about the kind of relative balance of offense and defense you know um effects operation and and defensive operation when it it comes to this because It seems to me sometimes that it seems far easier to set up and operate influence campaigns on social media, for instance, than to actually spot them at scale.
1: Again, I think that we could be doing a lot better. But right now, as a society, we're operating with our hands tied behind our back because let's take Britain, for example, we're dealing with primarily a few foreign companies whose platforms we are dependent upon for everyday life. We have very little influence on how they operate and run, and they have very little incentive to protect us from the very same harms that you're describing. So what I'd like to see is a lot more equity, a lot more ownership between governments and societies in these platforms that, they can, that, that, that they're so dependent on. If that were the case, then we would have far more power to implement rules and to protect ourselves. That's what happens in other parts of the world. They take far more control over the technology that they know is so critical for their for their um, safety and security this model of like pseudo government companies that span the globe and basically you know, have less accountability even than like, you know, ancient empires, right? In terms of, you know, in terms of how they operate. This, this can't go on. You know, this is this is the largest problem plaguing our society. It doesn't mean all companies are bad. It doesn't mean technology is bad. It doesn't mean government has to, you know, own everything. But it does mean we need a new conversation about how to strike a balance between these forces.
2: So, I mean, huge issues here that you're, you're tangling with and are but, on the and But huge line.
1: opportunities too. But huge opportunities too. I don't wanna lose sight of the fact that for most people, this will mean a chance to earn more money in new ways. A chance to be creative at an earlier age and to engage and socialise in ways that would have otherwise been impossible, and open up a lot of possibilities. Let's not forget the internet isn't all bad; it wasn't all bad, and the metaverse doesn't have to follow and make the same mistakes as before. Having this type of gloomy conversation should hopefully inspire people to want a different
2: outcome. You know, that's that I think is really, really important. That is, uh, of course, like the most important point. And it, and it seems, of course, that that you're very optimistic about. You know, the kind of values and things being put in place. That will mean that the same mistakes are not being made in the metaverse have been made in social media. But but I suppose do you want more regulation from governments around this? Like like is this something that you're happy for companies like yours to basically make? Because it, it does still feel like there's 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 largely unregulated here. Like- yeah,
1: I'd like to see. I'd like to see the metaverse have communities that are sovereign, that are voting, that are making decisions for themselves. What I'm sick of is completely closed platforms. I'd like to see platforms with user equity. I think that's the answer. I don't think it's just government regulation, although more is needed. I don't think it's just curtailing monopolies, although I think more is needed. I think it's that we all participate. We have to get out of the habit of being just consumers of these services and start to be citizens of these services. That is what will really get us to a a much more resilient society that can take advantage of these things. And yeah, it's on companies like mine to create opportunities for that to
2: happen. And you, as you can imagine,
1: that's absolutely top of mind.
2: So what's next for you, Nut Herman, over the next year or so? Well, I, I
1: think we've we've been teasing a little bit uh, with the technology in the last few days and will be over the next few weeks. Um, you know, there's there's a you know, we're gonna be going much further in our ambitions on the metaverse. We're redirecting uh, a lot of our content uh, towards taking the Morpheus technology that can support thousands of people together and doing more events and experiences with them and we'll have more announcements on that very, very soon. Um, we're also doubling down on our work in defense and in government, uh, having now reached a point where we're actually in active use, which is amazing. Um, and uh, on a personal level, of, um, I, with all of these topics being so interesting, uh, last year, with as I think many of us did with lockdown, I, I, I took on a new hobby which was writing, and uh, later this year, hopefully, to launch a book called uh, Virtual Society, which is about a lot of these issues um, and you know. it can add a bit to the conversation. And yes, I did just steal your time to plug my book a bit.